I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. To say that the social value of TikTok, the video hosting app, is in the eye of the beholder is an understatement. The 15-second videos hosted on the platform have been for years a bane to boomers and a boon for teens. But now the conversation about the app has switched seemingly overnight from one about the banality of the instrument to its national security implications. And after taking a look at its features, including the data and privacy infrastructure supporting the app, the Trump administration has ordered the sale of the Chinese-owned company and for the proceeds to go to the Treasury Department, while also announcing the effective ban of WeChat, a messaging and mobile payments app. The moves by the White House have sent ripples throughout the foreign policy and technology communities, raising a number of questions like, are the moves legal? And if so, what will they pretend for technology companies, including financial technology companies, operating across borders? For the fintech community in particular, with its often inherently international outlook and partnerships in Asia, the consequences could be enormous. To help us think it all through, I am delighted to have with us on the show Robert Chesney, the James Baker Chair at the University of Texas School of Law and co-founder of the Lawfare blog, as well as Kathleen Clausen, a former Associate General Counsel at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office and also a professor now at the University of Miami. And then finally, Robin Nunn, a fintech lawyer for Deckard, an international law firm. Bobby, Robin, and Kathleen, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Maybe we can start with the basics, uh, Robin. What exactly are TikTok and WeChat? And what is the Trump administration's problem with these devices? Yeah, Chris, I think you kicked it off um, really well. Um, TikTok is one of the most popular entertainment apps for mobile devices in the United States. It has acquired one of the largest installed user base in the country. Um, Its parent company is ByteDance. WeChat, on the other hand, provides text messaging, hold-to-talk voice messaging, broadcast messaging, video calls, and conferencing video games, photograph, and video sharing. Tencent Holdings is its parent company. So if you know a tween or are, are a fairly hip and creative person, TikTok or WeChat is probably a part of your life right now. They've built an empire off of 15-second videos. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And as you suggest, they've kind of been all over the news lately as a result of you know, some of the recent executive orders by President Trump declaring the apps a threat to national security. So, so Kathleen, maybe you can take it from there and maybe just describe just sort of what the Trump administration is, is, is doing. I mean, uh, I think it was a little bit of a surprise when people heard, you know, about TikTok, of all things, being a national security threat. And those who, who may not know uh, too many teens and tweens may not be so familiar with uh, WeChat. But really, what were the kinds of steps uh, taken 
And again, uh, how was this relating to this claim that they presented a, a national security threat? Well, the story really begins uh, much, much earlier, but but this is only a half hour podcast. So let's zero in on on the events of of the last uh, the last month or so. Of course, for a long time, as listeners will know, the U.S. government has been concerned about China, the Chinese government's access to data, things like the taking of trade secrets and other tech specific issues. So, so on on why there's a national security concern here, I think most commentators and the government itself is now saying it has to do with with moving data from the apps to the Chinese government. But let's let's go to exactly what happened in the last month. First, the administration has taken two different actions against TikTok and one against WeChat. Now, really, as Robin said, the actions are against their parents, ByteDance and Tencent, respectively, but I'll use TikTok and WeChat for short. As for the, the two against TikTok, each of these two orders arises under a different grant of authority to the president. The first one has to do with a, a body of law related to the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. We call that CFIUS for short. And the other delegation to the president is the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. We call that AIPA for short. So CFIUS and AIPA. It's the second one, AIPA, that's also the basis for the action against WeChat. Got it. So there is a CFIUS order that only concerns TikTok and an AIPA-based order uh, being used to sanction both WeChat and TikTok. So how then do they relate to one another, and how are these processes different? Uh, maybe you can start with CFIUS, this Committee on Foreign Investment, targeting uh, TikTok, because it's my understanding that that's the one that was started first. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States is actually an interagency committee, and it has authority to review, block, and where necessary, compel divestment of foreign acquisitions of U.S. businesses. So it can force a sale of a Chinese company buying a a U.S. business, force it to to give that up, right? And it has that authority where the transaction poses a threat to U.S. national security. The Treasury Department has the lead in that process. And importantly, it can carry out that review either before the transaction occurs or, in this case, after. So we started to hear late last year that CFIUS was reviewing the 2018 ByteDance acquisition of TikTok. And about a month ago, rumors were increasing that CFIUS was going to recommend to the president that he order ByteDance to sell TikTok under that authority. Now, while we were all waiting for that announcement, a couple of other things happened. On August 5th, Secretary Pompeo announced a number of initiatives to limit China's influence on U.S. technology. That seemed to signal that the administration was on the verge of banning Chinese apps, not just these two. And sure enough, on August 6th, the president issued these two executive orders under AIPA concerning TikTok and WeChat. So these two orders, I'll explain them in a little bit more detail, but generally they prohibit transactions with the parent companies, and that all starts in 45 days. And how then does this relate to AIPA? Um, as I understand it, AIPA's operations are, are pretty different and can shape up to be much more problematic for WeChat given the nature of the order and the, the absence of any obvious remedy beyond it, it being banned. AIPA allows the president to take what is essentially special action 
to deal with any unusual or extraordinary foreign threat to U.S. national security, foreign policy, or economy. Pretty big grant of authority. And the way this works is the president first declares a national emergency with respect to that threat. And then he's able to impose a wide array of sanctions, either directly on particular individuals or in the context of a particular situation. And sometimes he does it himself, or sometimes he gives authority to an executive branch agency to specify the contours of those sanctions. And to be sure, the sanctions can take many forms, either asset freezes, transaction bans. Those are among some of the most common. Well, in this instance, the president relied on a national emergency declaration he had made last year regarding information and communications technology. And acting under that framework, he made a finding that TikTok and WeChat pose a threat to the U.S. national security for the reason I mentioned at the outset, this transfer of data to the Chinese government. So that's the legal grounding, the fact finding of a threat and then the issuance of a sanction. Okay, so this is very helpful, I think, uh, for our listeners. So I, I guess I'll just conclude things then with what is prohibited. There have been a number of lawsuits over the last couple of days challenging the Trump's administration's rules. So just what is being blocked by the orders? The answer is we actually don't really know yet. The orders provide for the Commerce Department to indicate precisely what types of transactions are banned and what types of transactions are allowed. So all we know is that beginning in 45 days, as I said, that's when that's when this goes into effect, there's going to be a prohibition on any transaction with ByteDance and any WeChat-related transaction with Tencent that the Commerce Secretary identifies. And it can be a transaction by any person with respect to any property that's subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. Again, pretty big. So we're all waiting for the Commerce Department now to tell us by mid-September what types of transactions are banned and which ones are not. And and that's going to be especially important for Tencent, given its myriad of U.S. investments. But it needs to be clear as to whether we're just talking about, for example, U.S. companies not being able to advertise on the platforms or removing them from app stores or preventing licensing and other contracts with them, or whether this actually means a a ban on the apps directly, at least probably it's a ban on them effectively. So, Bobby, thinking about TikTok as a national security threat and uh, this question about data, is the issue at the end of the day that an individual's personal data is going to get hacked and and swept away into some kind of black site in China, uh, or that uh, they're going to be uh, spying on you consistently in real time, or or is it something else? And how does uh, the nature of the risk here compare with how the traditional national security authority of the United States government has been employed? Well, Chris, that's a great question. Um, Let's first start talking about the different national security threats that the president identified. Um, As we've heard, there's this concern about data getting into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. There's there's also in the president's order a concern about uh, Chinese censorship of what can be talked about on these platforms. And then third, there was a, a reference, I think this is the most speculative part, that the platforms could become a vehicle for the Chinese government to advance disinformation. You know, on the first one, on the ability of the government to possibly compel through ByteDance or through uh, WeChat, uh, compel these entities to turn over information that the apps gather from their U.S.-based users, 
There is a real concern there. We all understand that many of our apps, including certainly these, gather a tremendous amount of data about all of us. It's a concern people express vis-a-vis American companies all the time. Anytime an app of this kind uh, is in any way subject to the legal jurisdiction of an authoritarian foreign government, or for that matter, any foreign government, the foreign government's laws, to some extent, are going to be able to compel those companies to cooperate in certain ways. That's true for our own companies when uh, U.S. laws compel them to cooperate with with our agencies. Of course, the the difference is that we have a rule of law framework, which whatever flaws it may have certainly looks better in comparison to the Chinese. So there there is this concern there. On the censorship concern, Chris, uh, there's a a really good Citizen Lab report um, that talks about what goes on with WeChat that is unsettling. There was a big story in The Guardian in 2019 and in The Washington Post in 2019 about censorship of commentary on the Hong Kong protests. So there's, there's a track record of concern there as well. Um, whether it's novel to use the frameworks Kathleen described to address these concerns, it, it is, but it's not completely novel. First of all, the, the framework that the president has activated here, it's framed super broadly to encompass all sorts of perhaps previously unseen circumstances implicating security. Uh, and then we have the example of the Grindr situation where Grindr uh, famously had been acquired by a Chinese company and the CFIUS process that Kathleen just described was used retroactively to, to force the company to divest itself of Grindr precisely out of concerns about how useful the data about users that Grindr would collect um, might be to to a foreign government. So not novel in that respect. Kathleen, I mean, are TikTok and WeChat in the same position, uh, or or are their fates potentially different uh, given the different sort of administrative mechanisms that are taking place? Well, they're they're quite differently situated because of a subsequent order that the president did did eventually issue uh, on August fourteenth, coming out of that CFIUS process that I mentioned. So the, the August 14th order requires ByteDance to sell off TikTok within about a 90-day window, give or take. And so, so now you see a discrepancy between the, the 45 days until we get these, these uh, clear regulations from, from the Commerce Department on what's banned and 90 days till the sale. So in that period of time, there should, we have some expectation that in that period of time, there will still be a sale going on. Uh, presumably, the Commerce Department regulations will make clear that that can still uh, continue. But, but the, the upshot of that, Chris, is that this all could go away for TikTok if there is a sale uh, at the end of that 90-day timeline. It could be sold to one of the many buyers that we've heard about, whether Microsoft, Oracle, somebody else. But then that problem in the IEPA order really could just all go away. It's not the same for WeChat. They don't have that sort of off-ramp to be able to say uh, that they're, they're selling off something and, and selling off WeChat is highly unlikely. Bobby, there was also this idea of, of the proceeds of the sale actually going to the U.S. Treasury Department. I mean, is, is that possible? Um, uh, or was this more of a sort of r- rhetorical flourish by the president? It definitely is not possible. It's not proper. It was an improper suggestion. There's no mechanism like that. There's a statutory schedule of fees for the CFIUS review process. It's relatively modest. The idea of these companies having to pay key money is just wildly inappropriate, and it's not going to happen. Robin, what do you take from these observations 
thinking through cases like Grinder all the way to WeChat. Um, first, I guess, what do you think of this evolving legal terrain? Um, I mean, it does seem pretty broad. And how do you view the conversation on the national security risks the government is trying to address? Um, I agree completely with Kathleen and, and Bobby. And I think the the most you know sort of interesting um, point about all of this is sort of something that Kathleen highlighted with respect to the commerce having 45 days to identify the transaction this order applies to. And what that means is that this move could really prove to have far-ranging, immediate, and really unpredictable consequences as U.S. companies really are scrambling to determine their exposure and minimize their risk of penalties here. Um, For me, this really feels like an unprecedented move, and mainly in relation to privacy concerns. TikTok has a lot of user data related to people here in the United States. It knows what we're into as far as video content, the very specific elements of each video, the kind of music that we like, the kind of people that we want to see in our feeds, the color of our skin, the kind of clothes that we wear, whether we're into indoor things or outdoor things. And they understand marketing content to users in a way that very few social platforms do at this point. In fact, I would say that they're probably the most successful platform at catering to users' needs through algorithms that we have right now. And the the, the real problem comes with TikTok's parent company, the Beijing-based ByteDance. Now, I feel like U.S. lawmakers fear that ByteDance could be pressured by the Chinese government to share U.S. data which it could then exploit for its own gain. And this could obviously be a very dangerous recipe. And as we get closer to the election day, which I think is on top of you know, a lot of folks' mind, we think about interference um, from other countries. And this could be a way potentially for China in the future or, or simply just exploit American vulnerabilities by understanding what it is that we're kind of really, really into. Um, I think TikTok has issued a statement about this. And it says that TikTok is led by an American CEO with hundreds of employees and key leaders across safety, security, product, and public policy here in the U.S., and that they have no higher priority than promoting a safe and secure app experience, and they have never provided U.S. data to the Chinese government, nor would they do so if asked. So, 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 I mean, picking up on on Robin's point, uh, uh, Bobby, I mean, is there any way in light of these orders to sort of get into compliance on that data issue? I mean, like if 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 uh, uh, let's say a Chinese company in the future, or or or, or even if you're thinking about a, a WeChat or or um, uh, TikTok, although it looks like this this sale uh, may be uh, a sort of a foregone conclusion, but but could a company in, in essence ring fence their data? And therefore, sort of escape this national security question, you know, by saying, "Well, look, none of our data uh, is being stored in China." Are, are there certain kinds of uh, steps that can be taken to sort of address this this uh, you know very real uh, concern that that uh, user data could be used to to undermine um, everything from, I guess, commerce to to elections? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, strictly speaking, technologically, it, it ought to be possible in theory. However, if, if we begin from the premise that, of course, in this context, we're always talking about a foreign company. We, we can't have this conversation about a U.S. company. These are authorities only applicable to these foreign-owned companies. 
if you're in a situation as any Chinese company is, in which the domestic law of China includes national security authorities that are that are sweepingly broad, even in, definitely in comparison to American authorities, requiring corporate cooperation and precluding any public uh, revelation that you are engaging in this cooperation, the companies themselves, no matter how well-intentioned, are in an extremely difficult spot. So in this case, the interesting question is, has TikTok USA effectively insulated itself sufficiently from the obligations that, uh, that ByteDance has as a Chinese company? And they say that they've got all their data stored at the servers that I believe are in Virginia, that US data and uploads uh, all go to. Can the ByteDance uh, can can ByteDance personnel access whatever it is that TikTok accesses? I certainly don't claim to know the answer to that. It's possible that the technological answer is no; it, it can't be done. And the only way that information could flow is if TikTok violated its what it says it does. Um, but it's possible that actually it could be done. And so there's there's a question of fact here that none of us on the outside are in a particularly good position to address. But but at the root of it all is, is not the good faith of the companies. It's what their legal obligations are under Chinese law. And it is not like obligations of American companies under American law, to be sure. So, so, so Kathleen, I mean, trade is a two-way street, right? So, I mean, th- theoretically, if if the U.S. government could sort of view TikTok and, and WeChat and, and Grindr as, as sort of national security threats, you know, looking at at data and, and presumably could extend that to all kinds of other technology and financial technology uh, firms. I suppose, and again, this is just picking off from Bobby's comments. Uh, you know, China's authority over its own companies are, 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 are is, is quite broad. China could retaliate, uh, and 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 uh, in your experience, especially looking at your experience over at uh, the the, the uh, U.S. Uh, trade representative's office, um, is this something that one can expect? Um, are, have there been similar instances like this uh, in the past? Um, and, and are there uh, any kinds of firms that, that could be uh, U.S. firms looking to either expand in China or that may already be operating in China uh, that could face a similar blowback? China's already made strong statements against these actions, including by saying that they are violations of the WTO rules, uh, the World Trade Organization rules. So we could see action at the World Trade Organization in response. Uh, But I think that's actually reasonably unlikely. What we might see is China's retaliation with respect to certain U.S. companies. As you mentioned, there are some possible targets. Microsoft, Apple, Amazon are, are among them. Uh, but while while the Chinese government has responded reciprocally when the United States takes action against it, against the government, and we, we saw that with tariffs and with recently with the consulates, it, it hasn't typically done so or done as much when the U.S. government has taken action against Chinese businesses. So we we didn't see a big response when CFIUS forced the sale of, of Grinder. Uh, but but then again, these are quite different as compared to Grinder, right? With, with a significant market share, China likewise didn't retaliate against India when it banned TikTok. But for India, just like frankly for the United States, there really isn't equiv- an equivalent entity operating in China. The ones I mentioned earlier, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, of course, they have a presence, but it it, it really isn't the same as what we're seeing with TikTok and WeChat. So we might 
likewise see something more subtle, something where where China ups its stealing of trade secrets or making it harder for U.S. companies to operate in the Chinese market. But at the very least, I'd say, Chris, we, we should see these issues come up at the next high-level meeting that is scheduled and then has been called off and rescheduled again uh, on the trade deal. Right? It's hard to look at these in isolation. There's, there's a lot of noise in the, in the China trade conversation. We've moved from what was once a, a targeted tariff issue to a full court press. So these issues are surely going to get swept up in that conversation. You know, that is really interesting. I mean, just the very idea that um, I- any kind of commensurate sort of retaliation, you know, uh, it, it would be hard to be able to exercise because there's nothing necessarily that operates in the same way uh, uh, in China. It can't help but just raise certain kinds of questions about the barriers to entry to entering into China in the first place, that that the, the very barriers that the Chinese government sometimes places on technology firms could be the very ones that make retaliation difficult when when the United States decides to exercise its its own authority. But but I guess you know when you look at that suite of of issues, uh, uh, Kathleen, you know you rightfully noted that this is part of a larger trade conversation. Um, do you have any senses as to how you think this is this is all going to end up uh, playing out? Well, I think it's far too early to say, frankly. Uh, a lot will depend on what happens in November from our side. But the challenge from the U.S. side hasn't been so much dealing with a Chinese response to these sorts of actions. It's it's much more about sorting what I think many see as contradictory aims on the part of, of not just this administration, but U.S. policy for some time. That is, trying to say we're opening up and, and folks should invest more in the United States while also saying we're trying to decouple from the Chinese economy on tech and on supply chains more generally. That problem and that that central contradiction is not going away anytime soon, and this is really just one manifestation of it. How about you, Bobby? I mean, when you look at, at this particular action, I mean, you, you've said that it, it's not entirely unprecedented, uh, but certainly the trade relationship is certainly uh has certainly deteriorated. Um, what do you take from this particular event and 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 what kinds of uh, repercussions do you think uh, are are either possible or or likely? I think the right way to look at it is that the playing field was exceedingly not level to begin with. As you said, Chris, the ability of American firms of a like kind to operate in China is practically non-existent. and to and to look at this situation as the as the United States sort of picking a fight, and now China has to respond to the, to the situation, I think, is, is getting it wrong. We have to widen the lens, look at the larger long-term relationship, and see that in addition to the theft of American intellectual property that's been so rampant for so long, American companies, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, they, they can't operate in, with any sort of freedom or effectiveness in China, whereas a lot of these Chinese companies have been allowed in our much more open and free system to operate here. Where these actions occur... I think it's much more complicated than just thinking, well, the United States has taken an action that's somewhat illiberal in its approach to the open market. How might China respond? Um, it's, it's probably better to view it as, well, the United States is belatedly starting to push back in an otherwise quite uneven relationship. Robin, you are a fintech lawyer, and you've dealt with uh, everything from cybersecurity and privacy issues to to financial services writ, writ large. I mean, uh, coming from that standpoint, um, from the standpoint of, of really lots of our, our listeners, uh, when you see uh, this particular incident 
and and you think about the inherently cross-border nature of many fintech businesses, um, what what comes to the top of your list of things to keep your eye out on uh, as as this and perhaps other future developments uh, un- unroll under the next couple of months? I mean, I think we're definitely in a wait and see approach, and I and I hate to sound like Chicken Little here um, by saying that the the sky feels like it's falling, but I think it's there could be you know um, a pretty broad impact here. Um, apps owned or developed by ByteDance and Tencent could potentially be removed from Apple and Google stores or even disabled entirely for U.S. users. And to complicate things, Tencent's massive holdings also include significant stakes in, in popular game developers, film productions, Snapchat, music companies like Universal Music Group and Spotify, and even the, the NBA. Um, and you know we love our basketball. Um, the determination, I guess, will really depend on the commerce, you know, on some levels and what constitutes a transaction. Um, but I think there could be ripple effects into banks, um, which I work a lot with, and they may stop transmitting payments to the related companies. And who knows, Apple and Google may remove apps from their platforms like they did in 2019 with Huawei, you know, in-app purchases and advertising could vanish. Um, even companies who have already paid for ad campaigns um, could, you know, be unable to get refunds if that is considered the type of transaction that the, it is covered under the commerce um, determination. Um, the NBA, which is obviously already um, experiencing a pretty significant cash shortage, you know, due to coronavirus, um, and is already seeing teams struggle. You know, who knows what could happen? And Spotify streaming payments may dry up. Dry up um, you know, as musicians are still unable to tour, I think there could be really, you know, sort of far reaching dynamics here. And um, I'm curious to see whether China is retaliates in any way um, as a consequence of these executive orders. Um, I, I think that there could be some catastrophic impacts on companies, um, but I, I think we're, it's still too soon to say. Certainly, I think you're right. This, this story is one clearly with several chapters left to be written and and we really can't see whether or not uh, or how happy or sad the ending will ultimately be. Uh, Robin, Bobby, Kathleen, thanks so much for your time here. Your perspective has been invaluable. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. There has been, for good reason, plenty of talk about trade wars in the last several years, and the Trump administration's recent targeting of TikTok and WeChat would seem to be just another iteration of an escalating battle between Beijing and Washington. But there is something different here, especially if you're a fintech firm. For the first time, we're seeing an administrative effort to target not only uh, the collectors or aggregators of data, the lifeblood of many fintech operations, but also the intersection of data with services beyond just social networking and social media. Now, how far down the value chain this will all go is anyone's guess. But I'm thinking more than a couple of CEOs and their lawyers must be trying to game out what both sides will do next. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you. Fintech Beat is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.